to Sojourner True. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Today, Tuesday, January 12th, the House of Representatives is expected to vote on a measure calling for Donald Trump to be removed from office through the 25th Amendment uh, following the armed and violent insurrection at the U.S. Capitol last week. Additionally, Democratic lawmakers in the House have introduced a single charge of impeachment, incitement of insurrection against Donald Trump. The impeachment measure has the backing of over 200 Democratic co-sponsors, this according to MSNBC. And according to the latest polls, 56% of the public support Donald Trump's removal. And despite their lives being put in danger with the armed insurrection that took place on Wednesday, January 6th, House Republicans refused to give unanimous consent to the resolution urging uh, Pence to start the process of the 25th Amendment. Nevertheless, support is growing for Trump to be indicted under federal, state, and D.C. laws for his role in inciting the deadly event. On Monday, January 11th, newly elected Congresswoman Cori Bush filed formal legislation urging the removal of any elected officials involved in inciting last Wednesday's deadly terrorist insurrection. The legislation invokes Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, which allows Congress to remove any legislators engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the United States. And also on Monday, January 11th, the U.S. Supreme Court formally refused to put on a fast track an election challenge filed by Donald Trump and his allies. The top court denied pleas for quick consideration of cases involving the outcome in five states won by Joe Biden. Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Our guest today, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, Jody David Armour, law professor at the University of Southern California, and Marjorie Cohn, Professor Emerita at Thomas Jefferson School of Law and former president of the National Lawyers Guild. She is a legal scholar and political analyst. We live in a global world. We are all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of color, and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Eileen Alfandari. The FBI is warning of plans for armed protests at all 50 capitals and in Washington, D.C., leading up to President-elect Joe Biden's inauguration. An internal FBI bulletin warns the nationwide protests may start later this week and extend through the January 20th inauguration. Capitol Police briefed Democrats last night about dangers in the week ahead. Pennsylvania Democrat Connor Lamb told CNN the threats are specific. They were talking about 4,000 armed patriots to surround the Capitol and prevent any Democrat from going in. And they have published rules of engagement, meaning when you shoot and when you don't. Um, so this is, this is an organized group that has a plan. They are committed to doing what they're doing because I think in their minds, 
um, you know, they are they are patriots. The House is expected to debate and ultimately approve a resolution calling on Vice President Mike Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment, removing President Trump's powers in his final days in office. The House briefly went into session this morning, then recessed until this afternoon. The House plans to hold a roll call vote on the resolution today. It is expected to pass. After that, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said Pence will have 24 hours to respond. Next would be the impeachment proceedings, perhaps as early as tomorrow. President Trump will travel to Texas to celebrate his additions to the border wall. It has been one of the pillars of his presidency. The trip will mark the first time Trump has been seen in public since the speech he delivered to his supporters last Wednesday in the run-up to the mob attack on the Capitol. The acting head of the Department of Homeland Security has abruptly resigned. Chad Wolf claimed his sudden departure was prompted by court rulings that found he could not hold the position under federal succession rules, among other reasons he did not specify. Wolf has been acting DHS secretary since November of 2019. Democrat Benny Thompson, the chair of the House Homeland Security Committee, called Wolf's stated reason for leaving questionable, saying Wolf has known he was serving illegally in his position for months. Thompson said Wolf has chosen to resign during a time of national crisis and when domestic terrorists may be planning additional attacks on the government. Ohio Democratic Congressman Tim Ryan says two U.S. Capitol Police officers have been suspended as a result of their actions during last week's attack on the Capitol. Ryan said one of the officers took a selfie with someone and the second put on a Make America Great Again hat. The congressman said Capitol Police are looking at everyone involved that could potentially have facilitated the incursion. Published reports say 17 more members of the force are under investigation. Ryan said Capitol Police don't want an officer working on Joe Biden's inauguration, who was not doing the job on January 6th. A second Democratic member of the House who was forced to go into lockdown with dozens of other lawmakers during last week's siege at the Capitol has tested positive for the coronavirus. Washington Democrat Pramila Jayapal criticized Republican members of Congress who refused to wear a mask in the crowded room when it was offered to them. Jayapal says in a written statement, too many Republicans have refused to take this pandemic and virus seriously, and in doing so, they endanger everyone around them. She added, only hours after President Trump incited a deadly assault on our capital, our country, and our democracy, many Republicans still refuse to take the bare minimum COVID-19 precaution and simply wear a damn mask in a crowded room during a pandemic. Jayapal is the second to test positive. Bonnie Watson Coleman of New Jersey said Monday she had tested positive for COVID-19 as well. California is setting up drive through mass vaccination sites as the state's death toll from COVID-19 has topped 30,000. Scott Baba reports. Newsom said California is taking what he calls an all-hands-on-deck approach to administering the COVID-19 vaccine, hoping to quickly loosen restrictions on who can both receive and administer the shot. The loosening of our tiers, or rather phases, and within those phases, the tiers to allow the administration, uh, more smooth administration and more uh, expedited administration of the vaccinations. We've also expanded the pool of those that can administer the vaccines. According to Newsom, dentists, pharmacy technicians, members of the National Guard, and even firefighters are among those who are now 
or will soon be allowed to administer vaccines. Newsom also said the state is hoping to speed up the vaccination process by opening several large-scale vaccination centers around the state. Padre Stadium, Cal Expo, these large mass vaccination sites. I'm Scott Baba, Pacifica Radio, KPFA. A judge has granted a stay in what was slated to be the first federal government execution of a female prisoner in more than 67 years. Judge Patrick Hanlon granted the stay late yesterday, citing the need to determine Lisa Montgomery's mental competence. I'm Eileen Alfandari for Pacifica Radio. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth and across the United States. Tensions are running high amid the ongoing political crisis centered around Donald Trump. Uh, We all know that on Wednesday, January 6th, a well-organized insurrection, including mobs of far-right Trump supporters, stormed the U.S. Capitol building, the House and the Senate, aiming to stop the congressional counting of votes for President-elect Joe Biden and Kamala Harris in the Electoral College, and it seems as well as to capture and harm members of Congress who did not bow to Trump's demands or agenda. And now we're being told that it is the FBI is warning that there may be violent armed protests at 50 state capitals beginning as early as this Sunday. Now, Very few people were arrested during the breach of the Capitol. Five people died, um, really, as a result of the insurrection. If you contrast this with police treatment of Black Lives Matter protesters who were brutalized and arrested by the hundreds last summer during peaceful demonstrations. But as of today, only 82 people have been arrested so far because of the U.S. Capitol insurrection. Instead of outright condemning the rioters, Donald Trump expressed tacit support for them, saying hours later, we love you, you're very special. Uh, Now, what I'd like to do is, before we welcome uh, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, let's just go to a clip, um, really, of uh, Nancy Pelosi describing what some of her caucus went through. Is anybody running the executive branch of the government? Who is running the executive branch? Well, sadly, the person who's running the executive branch is a deranged, unhinged, dangerous president of the United States. And only a number of days until uh, we can be protected from him. Uh, But he has done something so serious uh, that there should be prosecution against him. Well, when the protesters were making the assault on the Capitol, uh, before they even got to these doors, the uh, Capitol Police pulled me from the podium, and I was concerned because I said, no, I want to be here. And they said, well, no, you have to leave. I said, no, I'm not leaving. They said, no, you must leave. The staff went under the table, barricaded the door, turned out the lights, and were silent in the dark. Under the table Under this the whole table time? for two and a half hours. Wow. During which time they listened to the invaders banging on that door, as you can hear on a recording from one of the staffer's phones. I remember when Republicans in the Senate went to see Richard Nixon and said, it's over. That's what has to happen now. Well, I like the 25th Amendment because it gets rid of him. 
he's out of office. Uh, but there is strong support in the Congress uh, for impeaching the president a second time. This president is guilty of inciting insurrection. Uh, he has to pay a price for that. All righty. And now, very, very concerning there also, as you heard in our new headlines, there are two members of the House who have now tested positive uh, for COVID after being exposed to Republicans who were refusing to wear masks uh, as they were literally in hiding. Um, trying to save lives. What I'd like to do now is welcome back to Sojourner Truth Congresswoman Maxine Waters, who is considered by many to be one of the most powerful women in U.S. politics today. She's gained a reputation as being a fearless and outspoken advocate for women, children, people of color, and the impoverished. And she was elected in November 2018 to her 15th term in the U.S. House of Representatives with more than 70% of the vote. She represents the 43rd Congressional District of California. Congresswoman Maxine Waters, welcome back. Thank you so much, Margaret. It's so good uh, to hear you capture uh, you know, those statements from so many members who are explaining in so many different ways what has happened as uh, the Capitol has been attacked. Uh, this insurgency uh, that we all experience is overwhelming, is uh, devastating, uh, and uh, we're all trying, you know, to make sure that we continue the work of the government. At the same time, we've got to do some deep investigation about what happened with our Capitol Police. Uh, we've got to understand, uh, you know, why uh, all of these uh, domestic terrorists who showed up uh, were not identified early on, and they knew that they were coming and protected against it and all of that. And so here we are today, and we are going to take a vote on, you know, our attempt uh, to get Pence uh, to take some responsibility and uh, call together uh, the cabinet so that they can revoke the 25th Amendment that basically says uh, that the President of the United States is incapable of carrying out the presidential duties for whatever reason. And so we don't believe that uh, we're going to get support from the Trump Party uh, to support this. But the Democrats certainly are going to be voting for it. They have an opportunity uh, to join in showing that they understand what has happened in this United States and how the Constitution has been ignored and our democracy has been undermined and our capital has been attacked. And, but they probably are not going to do it, but they have a chance to. And we would like and prefer that the president would retire, uh, would get out of office. He probably won't do that. He hasn't shown any leadership or that he cares. Uh, you know, this is his party. And so he's on his way down uh, in Texas uh, to talk about the wall uh, that he continues to support and build. And now we're forced with what we're going to do. Well, we're going to go for impeachment. And probably the impeachment resolution will be up on the floor tomorrow. And this will be the first president in the history of this country that will have been impeached two times. Because once we get it out of the House, he will have been impeached. And it's up to the Senate to then indict. Uh, and they may or may not do it. I don't know. But he will be impeached tomorrow. 
Yes, and Congresswoman Waters, of course, not only myself, but I'm sure all of our listeners just want to be assured how you're doing, that you're well. We know that you were in Washington, D.C., and I, I wondered if, if it's okay if you shared a little bit with us uh, that uh, moment uh, that you knew this armed insurrection was happening, was underway. You know, I am so fortunate. You know, we were taking up the electoral vote. And so we were all, there was a uh, a combined meeting uh, in the House, with the House and the Senate. It's called, you know, a joint session. We went into the joint session. They took up the first uh, uh, state, uh, which was Arizona. And the uh, electoral votes were objected to. And the member of the House, who took it up also had the counterpart in the Senate who agreed. And under those conditions, then the House divides. And they went back to the Senate to do a two-hour debate. We stayed in the House to do a two-hour debate. I was in the gallery. I started listening to the debate and determined that I really kind of knew who was going to do the debate and what was going to be said. So I decided to get up out of the gallery and walk uh, to my um my office. I was alone. I didn't see any uh, officers or anybody along the way. And I walked all the way to my office. I finally saw some officers at the end of what is known as the tram. This is a little transportation system that was locked down. And so when I got to my office, turned on the television, there the protesters were at brief, you know, the, uh, the plaza. And uh, they were on to the steps. And I was shocked because I had an hour meeting with the police chief who guaranteed me that the plaza would be protected. That's the area around the Capitol. I grilled the police chief for one hour days before uh, this took place. And I asked him not only about the plaza, I asked him whether he had cooperation with the D.C. police. I asked him if he knew about the domestic terrorists that would be coming to town. The Proud Boys had been in town for a number of days. But I told him everybody knew that the white supremacists, Anon, uh, the KKK, uh, the Oath Keepers, all of them were going to be here. He assured me that they had it under control, and he didn't know uh, that those, all of those names of the terrorist groups that I was mentioning were coming. They had a permitting process, and people were able to get permits uh, to be in certain locations, and they could only send the person in. They could. They didn't have to identify themselves as a group. A person could come in and get the permit for them, on and on and on. I could ask him if he could consider putting police on the top of the building, uh, because that's where assassinations take place. That's how, you know, people get targeted. And I reminded him of John Kennedy and of Martin Luther King, who had been assassinated from high buildings. On and on and on, hours, he assured me uh, that he knew what he was doing, that they had it under control, that the police would be stationed uh, where they needed to be. And so I was shocked. I finally got the police chief uh, as the protesters were breaking down the door, and I asked him, what the hell is going on? You promised me that you knew what you were doing and you had this under control. And all he said to me very calmly, we're doing the best we can. We're doing the best we can. And, of course, I hung up uh, exacerbated uh, about what was taking place. I stayed in my office. We locked down. We got a call that they wanted us 
uh, to be led to the cannon building where those all of those people were being brought together, all of the members. And that's where, uh, you know, we had one of our members trying to get the Republicans to put on masks because some of them were gathered in one room. I refused to go when they told me uh, that they was going to send somebody and they'll take me down. I said, no, I'm not going. I'm staying right here. We're locked in my office, and I'm not going to go. And so I didn't go to that room. And now it turns out, at least we know now, two of our members have contracted COVID-19 you know, uh, because the Trump party people will not wear masks. And so this is a, a very, very unfortunate time in the history of our country with the attack on the Capitol. The five people uh, who are dead, uh, you know, two of them officers, the one woman who was killed was from San Diego, and they found among her belongings that she was targeting me and Kamala Harris. This is so unfortunate. And so between, you know, this attack on our government, the undermining of the Constitution and our democracy, and then this non-attention uh, to COVID-19, where people are dying every day, and people of color, and poor people are really the ones who are taking the biggest hit on COVID-19. But the President of the United States doesn't give a damn. He does not care. He, is, he does not even relate uh, to these issues in any credible way. And so we're going to impeach him. We're going to send the message that we're not going to stop or we're not going to give up and that we're going to do everything that we can to get him out, no matter how limited the days are that he's to serve. Uh, because this dangerous man intends to keep up his organizing and control of all of these uh, domestic terrorists, uh, even when he's not the president anymore, because he thinks he can have a grip on this country and get them to do whatever he wants them to do. It is so sad and so unfortunate. But we're strong. And we are going to resist, and we are going to fight, and we are going to stand up for this democracy, and we are going to do deep investigation. And so I want the American people to know that despite this tragedy, we are on it, and we are not going to back away. Well, Congresswoman Maxine Waters almost called you Sister Maxine Waters. It seems as though the ancestors were with you on that day and kept you safe in terms of when you left and, and also your refusal to go to that crowded uh, room where, as you say, two of your colleagues have now been uh, diagnosed with uh, COVID. But Congresswoman uh, Waters, we are, first of all, you have been really warning the nation of this for so long. And it's shocking to find out, I mean, of, of how all of this could end up. You were long pressing uh, for Donald Trump's uh, removal, in, in, including supporting impeachment. But it's very disturbing that you spoke to the head there in, in charge of the Capitol Police, and you were assured, you you went spoke with him for an hour. Given your concerns, you had a gut feeling um, of what could possibly happen. What do you think went wrong? I mean, why weren't they listening uh, to you? And also, in all of the time that you have spent in Congress, it's now come out that there were some uh, Capitol Police that seemed sympathetic to the armed insurrectionists. And have you had any any experiences of, of discomfort or or racial tension uh, during the time that you were there with the members of the Capitol Police? Congressman oh, I, Waters. I had, we had, um, you know, uh, attempts to 
uh, help us understand, uh, you know, what was happening in that staff when some people have uh, filed complaints of discrimination uh, and some people have thought that, you know, their ability uh, to be treated fairly and to be advanced despite the fact they had the years, they had experience, and younger uh, white officers were coming in that was getting hired. We had some of that, uh, but we had no uh, outward over treatment uh, that led us to believe that in something like this, we would have some of them literally desert us and join with the enemy. But obviously, uh, that some of that happened. I do think that the average rank and file uh, police officer uh, was out there on their own. They didn't have uh, any um, protective gear. Uh, they didn't have helmets. They didn't have anything. And I think they were the victims who were left naked. But I think there is some complicity somewhere, uh, and I don't know exactly whether it was coming from, you know, the top of the police force, but I do understand very well uh, when uh, that has been identified some of the officers who join with the protesters, because this has been the story of our life. This has been the story of black people who have had to de de depend on police departments all over the country uh, who have targeted us. And certainly the criminal justice system has never been fairly to us. And so many people coming out of those systems, we know, even though they work every day and they are not outward in how they relate to us, but uh, secretly they are. So I'm not surprised at all. And they tell me that there were uh, veterans and uh, military, uh, you know, persons and uh, uh, former police officers who showed their badges as they moved through uh, and joined in with, uh, with uh, the so-called protesters who were really, you know, uh, uh, the, 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 the terrorists. And so, no, I'm not surprised at all. Uh, we find this to be true in our lives as black people. We're interacting with people at all levels of public and private uh, service uh, that uh, are, uh, are a racist. And systemic racist, racism cannot be denied. And the other thing that you must know is the conversation uh, and the conclusion about what would have happened if that had been Black Lives Matter uh, that was... Uh, you know, involved in just protest and not even uh, the kind of destructive protest. Uh, even the president of the United States, Biden, said, and I tweeted, uh, that they would have been treated a lot different. And some people are saying there would still be blood on the steps uh, being shot down. And so I'm not surprised at all. And I think that our investigation is going to unveil and to show that there were uh, that, that people that, that were part of the of the force, of the police force here on Capitol Hill that joined in with the protesters. Right, and Congresswoman Waters, we know you, you're up to your eyeballs. You have to dash in a few minutes, but two uh, quick things. One, I wondered if you have heard from or read any of the reports of how the black Capitol Police officers uh, were treated. I've, I've read some horror stories in, in which one guy just said he was called the N-word so many times and he just wept after it was all over. And also, I'm sure a lot of people in your constituency and across the country are very concerned uh, about 
kind of personal attacks. I mean, as a black person, as a person of color, you feel there's a target on your back. There were two people, one woman and one man, who was beat by Trump supporters uh, also on Wednesday in downtown Los Angeles for no other reason than them being black. And now we hear about these armed insurrectionists, these racists, really, um, showing up at 50 capitals across the nation. And, and do you feel that enough attention has been paid to what you and others have been trying to warn about, about this internal terrorist white supremacist threat within the United States? Just your final thoughts, Congresswoman Waters. Well, I have to tell you that um, I have, uh, and I am concerned about the ongoing attacks that will be occurring in different ways. I do know that the state legislatures are targeted, and that may be as soon as uh, a few days, uh, the 17th has been identified, and of course the 20th is identified, the day of the inauguration, uh, that there will be uh, more uh, terrorist activity. Uh, and therefore, uh, us as, as black people, I am keenly uh, aware of and pay attention to security because I'm threatened to be killed all the time. And that was just a few days ago uh, that we got a call uh, from someone who advised us that he was going to kill me. We always turn that information in, uh, but I think we all must be alert uh, to the fact that uh, you may not be involved in the government. Uh, you may, uh, and the media uh, was attacked too. I have to tell you that their equipment was destroyed. Uh, they, uh, you know, took equipment away from uh, the journalist that was on the site, and they stomped on and destroyed equipment. So people have got to be concerned about these angry racists uh, that have been organized and emboldened by the president of the United States of America. And so I think that everybody should be uh, security conscious. And I think everybody should understand uh, that as long as uh, these terrorists, uh, domestic terrorists, are running loose, uh, that this country uh, is basically at risk in so many different ways. And so, and, and Margaret, I, I advise you to be careful also. Yes, and Congresswoman Waters, we remember with alarm when the white supremacists were threatening your office in uh, South Los Angeles and, and people from across the city uh, turned out to say, no way, we're going to protect our Congresswoman. So you please stay safe and well, and we are going to continue to be sending uh, positive uh, thoughts for your safety and also lift up the work that you've been doing and the speaking out that you have been doing for all of us. Congresswoman Maxine Waters, thank you so very much. And thank you so very much. All righty, this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. We're going to be continuing our coverage of what seems to be or threatens to be an ongoing armed insurrection um, against basically the United States. Uh, Jody Armour is waiting to speak with us as well as Marjorie Cohn. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this station break. Oh, cinnamon, where you gonna run to? Cinnamon, where you gonna run to? Where you gonna run to? All on that day, will I run to the rock? Please hide me and run to the rock. 
had me run the rock Peace had me Lord All on my day But the rock cried out I can't hide you The rock cried out the Rock cried out, I can't hide you. The late, great Nina Simone Sinnerman. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. Check out our website at www.sotrueradio.org where we have a community calendar, video, and, and lots of other stories. And if you're a member of Facebook, you can like and friend us on Facebook. Our handle on Instagram and Twitter at so True Radio. We're also nationwide and uh, worldwide on SoundCloud and today within the United States, we would like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in Columbus, Ohio. And internationally, we'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in Spain. And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. And we are continuing our coverage of the crisis in the United States, armed insurrection in the nation's capital and the promise of attacks uh, on capitals in 50 uh, states across the United States beginning as early as this weekend. What I'd like to do now is to um, just welcome, let's welcome first our next guest, Jody David Armar, who is the Roy P. Crocker Professor of Law at the University of Southern California, where he has been a member of the faculty since 1995. His expertise ranges from personal injury claims to claims about the relationship between racial justice, criminal justice, and the rule of law. He studies the intersection of race and legal decision making as well as torts and tort reform movement. He's a widely published scholar and popular lecturer. He often appears as a legal analyst on uh, major television networks, also on radio. And uh, Jody David Armour, welcome. Great to be back with you. All righty. What we're going to do... Um, uh, Dr. Hummer, I know you as Jody. Sorry to be so yeah, informal. Sorry. Jody, fine, <laughs> Okay, let's just go to a clip of the award-winning journalist Carl Bernstein uh, giving some analysis about this stain will cling, uh, cling to Trump. There's deafening silence from a number of Republicans or there are Republicans who are saying there just isn't enough time. There isn't enough time for impeachment. There isn't enough time for a 25th Amendment. What do you say to them? Look, one way or another, the stain of what has happened is going to uh, cling to Donald Trump's person and his movement forever in history. The important thing at this moment is to make sure that in his state of utter madness, that he is constrained, that he is put in a constitutional straitjacket, that he cannot do further damage to the interests of the United States and the safety and health and welfare of its people and its constitution, whatever that takes. And it's damn time for McConnell, McCarthy, and the others in Pence to say that's what needs to be done. But something else is really, I think we need to look at a bigger picture here, and that mm -hmm. is to that really Donald Trump is the enemy of the constitutional republic that is the United States of America. That's the meaning of what happened uh, in this insidious uh, insurrection that was inspired and encouraged an attack on the capital of the United States government, encouraged by the president of the United States at the very moment that the Congress was counting the ballots 
to elect the legitimate president of the United States. That's what occurred here. This yeah. is something that needs to be addressed in terms of its seditious reality, in terms of really who he most represents in some ways is the secessionist president of the Confederate States of America, Jefferson Davis, because Trump has taken his movement and himself out of the equation of the legitimate governing, uh, governance of the United States of America. And He's no I... longer part of the, of the United States of America. He has really seceded himself and his movement from who we are as a country. All righty. So, um, Jody, that clip there from CNN. But, you know, Jody, your expertise in the the relationship between racial justice and the rule of law, the intersection of race and legal decision making. First, let's start with your reaction um, to what happened, because the whole world actually saw uh, had to, we would hope, recognize that if these were Black Lives Matter protesters, not only would they have gotten nowhere near the Capitol, but any attacks that we saw on police or, or otherwise, people just would have been shot down and killed. Um, uh, Professor Jody yeah. Elmer. There's no question there would be a lot of body bags and toe tags all over D.C. right now if instead of white supremacist um, protesters and activists, you had Black Lives Matter activists and their allies involved in this action. This was really a natural experiment for the world, you know, that you rarely get. You have six months ago, you could see what was going on as the streets of the U.S. were roiling with protesters against the destruction of black lives, the willful destruction without care. And then six months roughly later, here we have another uh, set of people who, let's call them generously for now, um, um, rioters or protesters right now. You know, insurrectionists, we give them a lot of names. But let, let's say um, we're going to call them rioters right now. And we got to see when how the police respond differently to two different groups who are acting in ways that are disruptive that are viewed as disruptive, but when it came to the D.C. disruptors, the police, remember, their unions across the nation were big supporters of Donald Trump. The rank-and-file police departments, when they do polls of them, rank-and-file officers are big supporters of Donald Trump. So when it came to policing their political soulmate and their political activity, even when it came to rushing into the uh, the the, you know, the corridors of power, we saw how different they responded uh, that, to them than to people who they viewed as some kind of ideological adversaries because they were trying to hold them to account. And, 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 and you can't have a clear, natural experience, just uh, experiment. Just juxtapose those two pictures, right? And now there, there'll be a lot of deniers out there who will continue to deny it, but it, you rarely get something like this in history where the, and the time is short enough that you can really put them side by side and see this is us, this is America, this is who we are. 
Right. So all that business about this is this is not who we are. And Jody, I must say, in talking with people in other countries who, of course, are very alarmed by what they saw, but they're also talking about the hypocrisy of the the thought that that the United States, they go around fomenting this kind of activity, for example, in Haiti and other places and coups, you know, around the world. Uh, But when it happens uh, right in in the United States, uh, they are shocked to the bone. Well, a lot of people are not shocked. And some people are even saying, well, the coup this year is homegrown as opposed to internationally. But uh, Jody, you likely recall, as I do, when the leadership of of Black Lives Matter um, received information, were visited by the FBI to say that their names were on a list. Um, Meanwhile, prior to that, there was an, an attempt and actually Black Lives Matter was named as a terrorist uh, organization to be uh, investigated. And meanwhile, all of the warnings of these far-right militias, these white supremacists, this QAnon conspiracy theory that some people did say, this is the greatest terrorist threat uh, to the United States, basically ignored uh, by the Trump administration. But not only that, a number of people in our community and indeed across the world refer to Donald Trump as the white supremacist in chief. And if, if you look at the the, the violent mob, the insurrectionist rioters, whatever name you want to call them, and, and see who they are, and Trump basically saying, we love you, right, uh, giving yeah. giving his approval. Just your reaction and response. Um, that Jody. Yes, exactly, and it, it focuses my attention once again on something that we too, too often overlook, when we zero in on Trump. We have to zero in on Trump because he's such a threat. He's so dangerous, right, in his own right. But he is also a symptom, right? He is not just an Even in 2016, you had a lot of people thinking that maybe he was an aberration. Oh, the Russians may have produced, must have produced Trump. You know, this couldn't be us. And then in 2020, we see there's still 75 million Americans who are ready to get behind, you know, a lot of this... Um, you know, madness that we're seeing, you know, a lot, a lot of this, um, you know, uh, uh, stuff that seems to us to shock the conscience, but a lot of our countrymen and countrywomen are ready to roll with this particular president, right? And that should give us pause. I don't always just focus on, for example, when Trayvon Martin was killed by George Zimmerman, my attention wasn't just on whether George Zimmer, what happened to George Zimmerman. I focused on him, yes, but I didn't like him. What, what bothered me just as much was the jury saying that what George Zimmerman did was okay. The jury speaking for the public, speaking for all of us. And by the same token, I, Donald Trump is kind of a George Zimmerman character to me. I, I see him as, a, you know, as definitely a bad actor, but I'm also looking at the people who elect him, who cast ballots for him, who support him and uphold him, and what that says about the kind of nation we are and the pitched battle for the soul of this nation going forward. We're far from out of the woods just because Democrats now run the, the House, Senate, and Oval Office, right? This is still a very, very... Um, pitch battle for who we are. Yeah, and uh, Jody, in the discussion earlier with Congresswoman Maxine Waters, I mentioned concern about attacks on people of color, black people in particular. We saw in downtown LA, you likely heard of the um, woman and the man, a, a black woman, a black man 
who was a beaten, uh, attacked and severely beaten by a, a, a mob of Trump supporters. And there are a lot of people like myself and my family. I worry, you know, about my family because you do feel like a sitting duck. You do feel as though you never know what these people are going to do because the the racism and the anti-Semitism uh, clearly. I mean, somebody with a, a, a T-shirt saying Camp Auschwitz was was seen and, and the kinds of chants, uh, racist as well as anti-Semitic chants. So given the fact that there are now threatening, right on Martin Luther King weekend, by the way, uh, to broader uh, armed attacks on the capitals across the country, but one also has to wonder about our communities and, and people very worried about uh, defending ourselves and defending our loved ones and defending our communities. Any thoughts on what you think needs to happen next on the uh, on the legal front? Um, and any any other uh, closing thoughts that you might have, Professor Jody well, well, Armour? Thank you. Yes, uh, ju just on the the legal front because everything you're saying is spot on. You know, my dad used to say, "You scratch the skin of a racist and you find an anti-Semite right under there." Right, right under the surface, and, and vice versa. And so, yes, they, they are, you know, uh, showing the hateful side of America. There's a lot of support for that hateful side of America. It's not just Trump. He's a symptom. He's like a runny nose. Trump is a, is a runny nose. He, he, he's a symptom of a much thicker body politic in a lot of ways. My, from a legal standpoint, I just would caution this, uh, and this is the civil libertarian in me jumping out, you know, at a moment like this. Sometimes okay. we want to see these bad actors, and we want to we want to do something like say, you know, uh, get them off of Twitter, uh, crack down on anything that they'll say, and recognize and call them terrorists and come up with an anti-terrorism bill. And what I worry about with all of that is they turn that on us, or, you know, the black yeah. identity extremists. As soon as they can start labeling people terrorists, they turn it on marginalized communities like us. As soon as they can start you know, finding ways to, um, to crack down on free speech and, 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 and take people away. You know, but without Twitter, Black Lives Matter as a movement would have been much less vital. You know, but if, they, if you give pow the power to people who are private corporations to start, you know, uh, taking Black Lives Matter, for example, off of Twitter, it would be devastating. So we have to be a little cautious about giving power to these entities to cut down on our freedom of expression, our freedom to protest. Uh, even though we we really despise what this particular president is doing. Right. Well, on that note, uh, we are going to have to leave it there. Jody David Armour, uh, professor of law at the University of Southern California. Thank you so much for your work, uh, Jody, and for spending some time with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mark. Alrighty, and uh, just wrapping up our show, we'd like to welcome back our legal analyst, um, Marjorie Cohn, Professor Emerita at Thomas Jefferson School of Law, where she taught for 25 years, former president of the National Lawyers Guild, legal scholar, political analyst, writes a lot, books and, and articles, and uh, provides commentary for uh, CBS, BBC, MSNBC, CNN, and others. So we're very happy uh, to welcome her and have her to break down for us and understand some of the legal issues here. Um, Marjorie Cohn, welcome. Having me, Margaret. All righty. So 
There's a lot of discussion now about what should happen uh, next. The, it looks as though Pence isn't going to touch the 25th Amendment business. And with so many members of the cabinet resigning, um, how many of them would be left, even if he was, to, to really go along with it and, and vote uh, for it. But this article of impeachment includes, um, th th there is this reference to uh, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Just, just help our listeners to understand actually what Congress is doing right now with articles of impeachment, what's included. Um, yes, well, 210 um, Democratic Congress people co-sponsored the resol resolution. Apparently, there are 220 supporters, enough to get it passed, and some Republicans may join them as well. And this article of impeachment alleges that Trump engaged in high crimes and misdemeanors by willfully inciting violence against the government of the United States. Um, it says that Trump reiterated false claims to his crowd of supporters, telling them we won this election, we won it by a landslide, and he willfully made statements that encouraged and forcibly foreseeably resulted in imminent lawless action at the Capitol. And the reference to the 14th Amendment is that no government office holder shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion or give aid or comfort to enemies thereof. So that that's the basis for removing them. And the article of impeachment um, talks about Trump's prior efforts to subvert and obstruct the certification of the results of the election, and it mentions his January 2nd phone call to Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, where he urged him to find enough votes to overturn the election and threatened Raffensperger if he didn't do it. Um, and so the article says that Trump gravely endangered the security of the United States threatened the integrity of the democratic system, interfered with the peaceful transition of power, and imperiled a coordinate branch of government, and he thus betrayed his trust as president to, to the manifest injury of the people of the United States, and that he will remain a threat to national security, democracy, and the Constitution if he continues in office. Right. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, there's a bit of a back and forth with, of course, Nancy Pelosi, uh, Democrats on the Hill, very concerned about Trump not being able to run again, which he has kind of floated out there. And I wouldn't be surprised if he started his own party, left the Republican Party, started his own own party and, and, and ran or perhaps ran candidates. So is it true that if the Democrats get through with what they are introducing now, that Trump would would be ineligible to run again for public office, including for president of the United States, let's say in 2024, Marjorie Cohn? Well, not necessarily just from the impeachment resolution, if the ha House passes it, which I'm sure they will. An impeachment okay. is like an indictment. Then right. the case would move to the Senate for trial, and two-thirds of the senators have to agree to convict him and remove him from office. That's not going to happen before Biden takes office. And it's a long shot that two-thirds of the senators would vote to convict and remove him. But increasing numbers of Republicans, including Republican senators, are, um, are indicating that they might be open to that. So, uh, so that remains to be seen. 
Right. So what protection then uh, can the public have that you wouldn't see a, a Donald Trump running for president of the United States down the line? Well, after January 20th, Trump will no longer be shielded by the Department of Justice policy that a sitting president can't be indicted. <clears throat> and, of course, there's overwhelming evidence that he committed several crimes. Um, incitement of rebellion or, ex, uh, or insurrection, if he's convicted, he will be incapable of holding any office under the United States. Um, and that's anyone who incites any rebellion or insurrection against the authority of the United States or gives aid or comfort thereto. Um, he also, I think, I think there's overwhelming evidence that he committed seditious conspiracy, another federal crime, uh, conspiring to oppose by force the authority of the government and by force to prevent, hinder, or delay the execution of any law. Um, now, interrupting the counting of the electoral votes constitutes delaying the execution of a U.S. law. And he, um, he called Tuberville, Tommy Tuberville, a Republican from Alabama, during the siege, during the insurrection, asking him to make additional objections to the vote count. And Giuliani, Trump's, uh, you know, partner in crime, left a long voicemail meant for Tuberville, urging him to slow down the vote certification in the Electoral College, but it reached Democratic Senator Mike Lee instead. And Trump apparently resisted calling in the National Guard, uh, who ultimately arrived once the, res the insurrection was well underway. Um, and the insurrectionists quickly found the offices of specific legislators, including Nancy Pelosi. They went directly to James Clyburn's private office, which very few people knew about, um, leading Michael Moore to speculate that congresspersons were in on the conspiracy. Um, there's also a charge. He could be charged with solicitation to commit a crime of violence, that is, murder. Um, and uh, if prosecutors can prove that whomever killed Pap Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick uh, was incited to violence at the rally where Trump, uh, you know, exhorted his followers, he could be convicted of inciting murder. And also, he could be charged under Georgia state law, criminal solicitation to commit election fraud and intentional interference with performance of election duties from that phone call to Raffensperger, Raffensperger, um, to find 11,780 votes. Now, um, the, the, there is an issue that needs to be discussed, and that is the whole idea of self-pardon. The Constitution gives the president pardon power, but it doesn't say anything about self-pardons. And we know Trump has discussed pardoning himself. And since no president has ever done that, it's not clear whether a self-pardon would withstand a legal challenge if the Biden administration were to mount one. Um, in any event, Trump doesn't have the, the power to pardon state crimes. So wherever possible, federal cases should be filed jointly with prosecutions under D.C. law and laws in states such as Virginia and Maryland, where many Trump, uh, Trump uh, goons stayed, and in their home states as well. Right. So Marjorie Cohn, we just have a couple of minutes uh, left, but um, just explain to us, you know, Representative uh, Cory Bush 
um, out of Missouri. She was a Black Lives Matter activist in Ferguson, actually, uh, after uh, Michael Brown was killed there. On Monday, she introduced legislation seeking to expel Republican members of Congress whose challenge to the electoral results helped to incite the the insurrectionist rioters, the mob, uh, at uh, the Capitol. And according to her proposal, lawmakers, quote, who sought to overturn the 2020 presidential election violated their oath of office to uphold the Constitution and should face sanctions, including removal. So that focuses mainly on members of Congress, then. That does not um, impact um, the charges against uh, the president. Is that right? Um, yes, her resolution is to expel these uh, Republican congresspersons who voted against certifying the vote under the 14th Amendment, which, as I said, says that no government officeholder um, shall have engaged in insurrection or, or rebellion or give aid or comfort to enemies thereof. There are 47 Democratic co-sponsors for Cory Bush's, Bush's resolution. Um, but that same uh, 14th Amendment um, language is also indicated in the uh, impeachment resolution as well, which would uh, cover the president. So, um, and, and this is something that, that we don't see used very often, um, but uh, I think she's absolutely correct to, uh, to bring this up. And, uh, you know, there are some theories where they could be charged as, as co-conspirators as well um, in the seditious conspiracy with uh, Trump and Giuliani and uh, Don Jr., and Mo Brooks, all of whom spoke at this rally beforehand um, and egged on the assembled crowd. Um, you know, Giuliani said, let's have trial by combat. Don Jr. said, stand up and fight. We're coming for you. To the re-. And this is Don Jr. threatened the congressional Republicans who weren't trying to overturn the election. We're coming for you. And Brooks said, today is the day American patriots start taking down names and kicking ass. Our ancestors sacrifice their blood, sweat, and tears. Um, and asked the audience if they're willing to do the same. Then Trump came on and said they should stop the steal, uh, keep the Democrats from fraudulently taking over the country, show strength, walk down to the Capitol, you'll never take back our country with weakness. And then he said, when you catch somebody in a fraud, you are allowed to go by very different rules. Then this uh, this mob of insurrectionists went to the Capitol and uh, easily breached it, almost no resistance from law enforcement, and yeah. uh, and just trashed it. Right, and just five people died, uh, and uh, and you know half of Congress could have been killed. Right, and now the threat of of them appearing at at 50 states starting um, armed starting this weekend, which is Martin Luther King weekend. I'm afraid we are going to have to leave it there, Marjorie Cohn, but we appreciate you joining us. We'll have you back again uh, when you are available. And uh, thank you so much for breaking all of this down for us. Thank you. Okay, we are out of time. I'd like to thank all of today's uh, guests, and our. I'd like to thank the Sojourner Truth team. Uh, today's show uh, produced by me, that's Margaret Prescott. I'd like to thank our audio engineer, Lizette Tapia, our assistant producer, Romero Funes. If you'd like a copy of today's show, please contact the Pacifica Radio Archives. Thank you for listening, and y'all, please stay safe. This is your host, Margaret Prescott.